It's good to be here this evening with you all. If you have your Bibles and you would, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, and we'll start in chapter number 11 tonight. This evening we are going to look at the sins of Jeroboam. And hopefully it will be helpful in our lives. Before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we come to You tonight, Lord, we desire to hear from You, and I do pray that Your Word would speak to the hearts of those here listening tonight. God, thank You so much for how we've learned recently the Spirit of God indwells us and guides us into all truth, and I pray that Lord, tonight your heart, that you would open up our hearts to the truth. And Lord, whatever each individual needs, God, I just pray that you would speak to them individually and show them. Lord, thank you that we can sit in a service and multiple people can get different things out of the Word of God and how you can touch areas of our heart and life that, Lord, nobody else knows about. I pray tonight you would do that. And I pray that you would be with our pastor and help him and give him the strength that he needs and that, Lord, you'd bless him as he preaches in this conference and that you would work in a mighty way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight, we're just going to kind of, in this beginning phase, introduce Jeroboam. And I think it's important to really know what happened and how he came to become a king. Because in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about a man named Solomon, which we're all familiar with. And it says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. Now, wives, if your husband calls you a strange woman, he's just quoting the Bible to you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. This word strange woman is, it's not that they were crazy, but that they were not of the same background. They were foreign. They were not believers in really what what God was all about. They, They worshiped false gods. So these were strange women, and he loved many of them. And the Bible tells us that they turned away his heart. In verse 2, God warned them and, and, and gave them this warning saying, if you, if you do this thing, at the end of the verse it says, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And then Solomon clave unto these in love. So he loved them, and he had many, many wives. And it turned away his heart. So God became angry with Solomon. Sometimes I think people avoid the fact that God gets angry, but God gets angry. Look, in, look with me in verse number 9 of this chapter. It says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And then it talks about how God had commanded him to really follow after him, just like David, his father. We know David's his father. And so, uh, in verse number, let's look in 12 now. It says, Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Now, God told Solomon as a result that the kingdom was going to be divided. That he was going to take away the kingdom from his son, but not the entire thing. He was going to leave one for him, and that would be Judah. 
And this really goes to the promises of God because God promised that out of the lineage of David, there would be an everlasting kingdom. And we know that that was Jesus Christ. So God kept His promise here and said, Your son will be king. I will keep a lineage in your name because of David your father, but there's going to be a great division. And so in this same chapter, let's look at verse number uh, let's look at verse number 38. One thing he promised is that, the, that one of Solomon's servants was going to be the divider of the kingdom. And God sent a prophet unto this man named Jeroboam, and he told him, you are going to have the kingdom. It's going to be divided. And in verse 38, this is what this prophet is speaking to Jeroboam. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. So God gives a promise here to Jeroboam that he would establish his kingdom just like he had done for David, if he obeyed. So, then Solomon gets angry at the end of this chapter and he wants to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam flees down into Egypt and he stays there until Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. And so the people of Israel come to Rehoboam and they ask him to really... They said, Solomon, he laid heavy burdens on us. He, gave, he, he, he was kind of harsh with the service. Can you make it lighter and easier for us? These people wanted some relief. Some relief from the taxes and really the hard labor that some of them felt like they had had. So Rehoboam, he, he takes counsel with, the Bible says, the old men that had been the counselors of Solomon. And they said, you ought to be nice. You ought to, you ought to be compassionate on these people. And you should ease the burden. He didn't like that counsel, so then he went to his friends, the Bible says. People that he grew up with, the younger ones. And they said, oh man, let them have it. Tell them you're going to be worse than your father was. You're going to be more harsh than your father's. He beat him with whips, and you're going to beat him with scorpions here. We're, we're, we're coming, and we're just going to crush you guys. And the Bible says that really this came from God. God put this in his heart, and God was going to use this. So he, he does. He comes out, and he's really harsh, and he says, I'm not going to make it easier, but in fact, I'm going to make it harder. You thought my dad was pretty tough? Just wait till you see how I rule. So the people, they begin to turn away from him. And this is God's word being fulfilled right here. So all the tribes turn away except for Judah. And they make the, all the other people, they make Jeroboam their king. And then we're going to look in verse, in chapter 12, I don't think I told you that, chapter 12, and verse number 26. And this is going to be our focus tonight. We're just kind of catching up in the story here. Verse 26. So all these things have happened. Jeroboam's king. Rehoboam is, is king over Judah. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. 
Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. We're going to stop there, and we're going to look over these verses tonight. What a tragic story here. And honestly, in the Bible, we'll look at this near the end, how God brings it out over and over and over again, the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, and how he had caused Israel really to stray from God. So we're going to look at his life, and I'm going to consider four things tonight. The first thing out of verse 26 and 27 was the concerns of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the Bible says, had it in his heart that the people were going to turn away from him and go back to Rehoboam just because they went down to do the sacrificing and the offering at Jerusalem. Now, why this thought came into his mind, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But have you ever had thoughts in your mind when you are really trusting in something that God has given to you and your mind starts to say, God, if I give you this, if I trust you in this area and I let you have your will, and you start thinking about how it's going to turn out, how the situation's going to be. He had in his heart, you got to think about it, he had in his heart, he said, man, these people are going to go worship, they're going to go do their sacrifices, and then they're going to get to talking to somebody down in town. This person's going to say, Rehoboam's the best king ever, you're going to want to follow him. And so he starts playing out the situation in his head. And I believe Satan works in our minds. And I think Satan, he causes us sometimes to doubt God, sometimes to doubt God's promises. And God promised to bless Jeroboam. He had given him a promise, if you will obey me, then I will establish your kingdom. And right here he says, man, I think these guys are going to turn on me. I'm concerned for my life. He went so far as saying, man, he, he plotted this whole thing out. They're going to kill me over this. Now, once again, where he gets this, this mindset and this thought, well, the Bible doesn't really give us any indication on that. But I know from experience in my own life, and I think from any of us in this room, that we struggle sometimes with our mind. And we don't want to miss the fact that Satan works in our minds and our hearts. In the book of 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read a verse to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, the Bible says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And then listen to this, And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible tells us that we are to bring our thoughts, rein them in. Instead of letting your thoughts, sometimes we let our thoughts captivate us. We let, them, we let our fears take over and control us. But the Bible says instead of letting your emotions and your thoughts and the way you think and feel, don't let it control you. You control them. And you bring it into the obedience of Christ. That's, that's what God wants us to do. Because on any given day, thoughts can come into my mind and I can start doubting God. It happens. Sometimes, sometimes I look at the world around me and I see 
how people are living and maybe you see them and think, man, they have an easy life and here I am serving God and things are going, they're not going that well for me. What if I just leave this all? Satan, he works in our hearts. He works in our minds. And I think he did that in Jeroboam. Because Jeroboam began to fear. He began to doubt. When God said, I will establish your kingdom and I will bless you, Jeroboam could have went back to that and said, God promised me. But instead he said, man, these guys are going to turn on me. Not one time here do we find Jeroboam in this whole story turning to God. We don't find him seeking God. We don't find him looking to God and saying, God, I need your help in this situation. If he really truly was afraid and he feared, wouldn't it have made a lot more sense if he would have started praying and saying, God, can you help me? But sometimes we get in that same situation. Sometimes we get in the place where, like I said, we just let our emotions control and take over. And instead of bringing it to God and saying, God, can you calm me? Can you help me? Can you show me? We just kind of do our own thing. And for Jeroboam, this was a devastating thing. And believe me when I tell you today that the devil, he doesn't want you to trust in the Word of God. He doesn't want you to trust in the promises of God. And he will do everything he can to make you doubt the power of God. And sometimes we just fall prey to it. We're human. We make mistakes. And the devil is fighting harder than ever to get to your heart and to your mind. He wants to come in and he wants to just fill your life with fears and doubts. That's what he's all about. He's working in us that way. And tonight I encourage you, if you get discouraged in the Lord, instead of just doubting God, go to His Word and pray to Him. And say, God, help me. God, show me. God, lead me. And when you find a promise of God, isn't it a wonderful thing to find a promise of God? Something that God gives you personally in the Word? Where you've been going through a hard time and you read your Bible and something just stands out that's, that you've never really noticed before and you know that God is saying this is for you today. It's easy to see that at that time and to know that, but when you have that promise, have you ever had a time where you kind of started forgetting that promise? Where God gave you that and you were standing on it and nothing could conquer you, but then fear and doubt comes in and you start, start to say, well, did I really see that? God, are you really going to do this for me? Jeroboam, he could have ended this different. He could have had a different result, but these concerns and these doubts came into his mind. And then secondly, we don't just see the concerns of Jeroboam, but we see the counselors of Jeroboam. In verse number 28 of this chapter, the Bible says, whereupon the king took counsel. Counsel is a good thing. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. It's a good thing to go to a brother or sister in Christ or your pastor or your wife or your husband and for them to, to, to give us some advice. We don't have to do everything alone, but this counsel that he took was not very wise counsel. So, with wise counsel, there's also foolish counsel, right? And a lot of times as adults, we say, yeah, you know, I'm doing alright. I, I, don't, I don't really need a lot from people and I don't need help. I think we do need help. And I think we need the right kind of help, though. 
And, the, and tonight, I just I encourage you, if you have somebody in your life who does not encourage you to follow after God, don't let them be one of your counselors. If there's a person that's telling you to disregard the Bible, that is not a good counselor. If someone gives you advice to walk away from these things, if someone makes you doubt God, that is not a good counselor. And as adults, we should, we should be wise enough to say, I don't need this person in my life. But also, I want to say to you parents and even grandparents in the room tonight, be careful who you let your kids be around. And I can't stress that enough because it matters. The Bible talks about how there is strength in numbers. Solomon talked about that. And how, you know, how two can strengthen each other. And when you walk alone, it's harder. He talks about that. And, and we can uplift each other and we can encourage each other. But just on the flip side of that, when I think about how we can have good friends, how bad a friend and an influence can be. I'm sure many of you in this room can think back in your childhood. You can probably think of some stories that you could tell tonight of things you did that you know you shouldn't have done. And it's very possible that some of you can think back of a friend and say, it was always this guy. <laughs> we were always together, and you were horrible for each other, like gasoline and fire. You fueled it. You made it worse. And we kind of laugh at that, but the reality of it is, is this really does affect our lives. And for our children, it really does affect them. It matters who they're around. And we are, you know, a lot of times as a parent, maybe sometimes we think, ah, oh, I don't want to be too pushy or I don't really want to get that involved and I don't want to, they'll think I'm crazy and too strict, but it matters. It does matter. And he did not have some, some good counselors there, obviously, because they helped him devise these golden calves. Um, turn with me, hold your place here. I want to show you a place in Second uh, Chronicles. Do you ever read the Bible sometimes and when you're reading a story, you get some kind of humor out of it? <laughs> this right here, even though it's not a good situation, when I read this story, it makes me smile. Uh, what did I tell you? 2 Chronicles chapter 18. So we're going to go skip down to verse 4, and I'll just kind of fill you in. There's a king named Jehoshaphat, and then there's a king named Ahab. You probably recognize both of those names. Ahab wants Jehoshaphat to fight in a battle with him. And really, Jehoshaphat had no place being there, but we're not going to get into that. In verse number 4, Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the hand of the Lord today. Pretty good advice, right? Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of the prophets, four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle? And shall I for or sorry, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of them? So ever all these four hundred were just right on line with each other. Ahab, it's a great idea. Just go ahead and go up. You're going to have the victory. So then Jehoshaphat says, what, isn't there another one? Verse 7, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, 
There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. <laughs> so as I read this, I can, I can see this in my mind. So you play it out in your mind and just think about it. Here's Ahab. Here's, here's Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat said, isn't there somebody else beside these 400 that we can ask a prophet of the Lord? Yeah, there's this guy, but man, I can't stand this guy. Every time I try to ask him for something, he always says bad things about me. And Ahab, he doesn't think about his own sins. He doesn't think about the fact that he's the one always in the wrong, and, and this man's trying to lead him back to the truth. He thinks, this, I don't hear what I want to hear from this guy. So and as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to hear anything he has to say. And sometimes, and I, I think we can do this as Christians too if we're not careful, sometimes we can get people in our lives that always tell us what we want to hear. And we get that person in and we ask their advice. Why? Because we know they're going to agree with us and then they're just going to strengthen us to do what we want to do. And I think that's exactly what happened with, with uh, Jeroboam here. He had these counselors. I mean, but imagine... If a king said, okay, I have this idea, guys. Everyone's going to go up to Jerusalem. They're going to turn on me. So we got to think of a different plan. Think about the lone man who would stand out to the king and said, king, this is a terrible idea. Probably be off with your head. So it probably was a tough situation to be in, but he didn't have any good counselors. And don't always go to people that you know are just going to side with you. We ought to have counselors in our life that tell us what's right and what's wrong. You should have a friend that you know that if you're doing wrong and, they, and you ask them for advice, that they love you enough to say, hey, no, that's wrong. That's not the way we should go. And then I turn it back around on us. We should be those kind of counselors to our friends and family. To where we love people enough to say, no, that's wrong. This is not the right direction. What if one of these men would have stood up and said, Jeroboam, this is foolish. But not one of them did. I said, go on, king. Great idea. Perfect. Counselors are important in, in our lives. And, we, and, and, and the world, the world, think about the world today. They don't want any message that makes them feel bad about themselves and their sin. They just want to hear people say, you're good. You're good. Just keep going. Everything's going to be alright. Don't worry about it. That's what the world wants. In fact, many times when, when a Christian stands up and says, this is wrong, you know what they automatically turn back on us? They say we're judgmental and we hate people. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, and I, I believe this is true, and, and I don't necessarily mean it's a strong hate, but if you let someone continue in their sin and you know it's wrong, then you don't love them. And that's harsh. We, you know, a lot of times we want to coddle people and, and we think that's love. If we're, but no, it's not that we speak out of hatred and, and anger, but we tell people what the truth is. In my Bible reading, I'm reading through Ezekiel right now. And I, I, I've read a couple times already where God told Ezekiel, you are a watchman for Israel. And He said, this is your job, Ezekiel. If I tell you to go to somebody that is in sin and tell them to turn their life around and you don't do it, guess who I'm holding responsible? It's going to be you. But then he told Ezekiel, if you tell them 
but they turn away from the truth. It's not your job to slap them around and say, get your act together. It's their responsibility. God wants us to tell people the truth. And, you know, we don't, we don't have to beat people over the head with the truth, but don't be afraid to stand up and tell the truth. Some people don't want to hear it. Some people don't want to know it. And you don't have to sit there and argue and argue. Just tell somebody the truth of the Word of God. And I tell you what, some people you're going to make a difference on in life. That's what he even told Ezekiel. You're, some people are going to change. Some people aren't. And today, I, I tell you, let, let us be good counselors. And let us have people that are good counselors in our lives because we need it. We need to help one another. We need to love each other. We need to care about each other. None of these people that, that were the counselor of the king really cared about the king or the people of Israel. And it showed in the, in the way that they just did not care. This world, it's, it's full of compromise. And, and, and at the end, we're going to kind of get more into this. But like, like I said earlier, nobody really wants to hear, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. They just, you know, people march down the streets for these movements to this, this li- these lifestyles that God calls an abomination. And they stand up and they say they're proud and they want everybody to support them. Someone needs to stand up and say, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I know people do. I know they do. But are we willing to do that too? When this world comes against us, I tell you what, what if things get really bad to where we can no longer preach the truth? Are we just going to hide and say, okay, the truth doesn't matter anymore? We ought to preach the truth and say, this is right, this is wrong, this is what God has said. If I offend people, so be it. Hopefully no one sets out to offend people. Sometimes I'll, uh, when I read an article or just maybe a post or whatever, I'll, get, I'll read the comments because sometimes you just know people are going to start fighting and they start arguing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, nobody's like that, hopefully. But <laughs> I scroll. Sometimes I scroll. There's like hundreds of comments. I don't spend all day doing it, but I just, I mean, you know, these people go back and forth and it's, it's kind of funny. And, you know, if you're that kind of person who argues and does that, that that's okay, but I don't think that that really accomplishes much. I don't think that God's called us necessarily just to argue on Facebook and things like that, but He did call us to stand for the truth. He did call us to be good counselors and people that, that help out by telling the truth. And we should never be ashamed of the truth. God's the one who established it. You don't have to be ashamed of it. And I tell you what, if you know it according to the Bible, you don't even have to be weak and back down. Because God is the authority and you can say it with that same authority and says, God says this. God says this. Now we don't want to look into the Bible and put our own twist on it. We need to study the Bible, know the Bible, and then share it, communicate it, and stand on it. Man, you can stand on God's promises. Jeroboam, he could have stood on the promise of God in his life. He could have said, God promised me if I'm going to follow Him, if I give my life to Him, if I obey His commandments, He will bless me. But he didn't do that. So first we see His concerns, then we see His counselors, and then thirdly, we see His choice. 
He made a choice here. Verse 28 as well, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Then he made a choice. And he made a horrible choice. When we seek after a counsel that's not from God, when we're even just looking to the world for advice, it doesn't cause us to grow closer to God. It pushes us farther away from Him. And that's exactly what happened here in Jeroboam's life. He wasn't getting closer to God. No, he was distancing himself. He was denying the fact that God had worked in his life. And he said, look, these two golden calves are the ones that brought you out. Worship here. What a lie. What a lie. I'm amazed that these people started doing it. I'm amazed that they listened. These are people who had the Bible, who had been taught that God had blessed with, the, with parts of the Old Testament, and they knew better. And yet He still chose that. Sometimes we know what we should do. Sometimes we have clear direction from God, and we know what's right, and we know what's wrong, and sometimes we choose wrong anyway. And I tell you what, it's... This choice that, that Jeroboam made here had a devastating effect on the nation of Israel. And so when we personalize that in our lives, the choices we make have devastating effects on our family sometimes. When we disobey God and we disobey His Word, a lot of times some people, they, they think... It's just affecting me. This is what I want. This is how I feel. It doesn't concern anybody else, but that's a lie from the devil. It does concern other people. It concerns your family. If you're a member of this church, it concerns the church. You affect the church. You affect the testimony that we have you know, of the Lord Jesus Christ in this community. A lot of times people think of choices that just benefit them. That's what Jeroboam thought, isn't it? What, what's going to benefit me? If I get everybody to worship at these altars, these golden calves, then they're not going into Jerusalem, and I'm safe. I never had to worry about it. That's not true, though, anyway, but that's kind of how he thought. And we believe the lies of the devil sometimes, and we think, not affecting anyone else, doesn't really matter, not that big a deal, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. We allow Satan to lie to us. He's the father of lies. There is so much deception in America today. It's sad. The country that we live in has really turned its back far from God. We're not, I'm not going to give you a history lesson tonight on anything, but just look at what's going on in our world around us today. There is so much confusion. There is so much evil and wickedness. By the way, I, when, I, when I look at the lost, I, I, I was out at uh, Countryside today and we got into the book of Ephesians and we were talking about salvation and how God changes us and, and how we should start living for the Lord and 
how Jesus changes our life. And in Ephesians, it talks about how their, their minds were blinded to the truth. And a lost person, you know, sometimes we look at them and say, man, get your act together. What are you doing? But their eyes are blinded. They are. People are confused. Why? Because Satan, he's done a great job at lying. And I think so many times, this was a pretty big step, but I think so many times we think that these small decisions we make in life are not that big a deal. It doesn't, yeah, this is small, it's really not that, you know, it's not going to be that bad. I'm just going to kind of do what I want here and then, and, but then it turns into more and more and more. And that's how Satan works through that deception. So, lastly, tonight, We've talked about the concerns of Jeroboam, the counselors of Jeroboam, the choice of Jeroboam, and then lastly, we're going to look at the consequences of Jeroboam. And I want to look at this. I mean, we could look at other things too, but I want to look at the consequences it had upon the nation of Israel. In verse 30, look at this. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. It became a sin for Israel. I'm going to turn through a couple of passages. If you want to, you can try to keep up. But in 1 Kings chapter 16, in verse number 31, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, this is talking about Ahab, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So right there, it talks about Jeroboam again, his sins. And he had walked in his ways. And then look in chapter 22 and verse 52. I'll only go to a few of these. 22 and verse 52. Ahaziah, I'm not sure if I said that right, but my mind's not working right now. So, verse (coughs) verse 52 and he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Then go to 2 Kings chapter 3. Jehoram's reign is this, is this next one. He's the king. Chapter 3, verse 3. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Look in verse in chapter 10. I promise I'm almost done with this. Chapter 10, verse 29. This is Jehu. Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. I'm going to stop there. There are, there are some more verses we could look at, but look at the effect that Jeroboam had on generations to come. He had an effect, didn't he? His sins, people walked in those sins. People followed after that. And like I said, I'm, I'm so amazed at the fact that when Jeroboam first set out these golden calves and said, here they are, that people didn't stand up and say, What? This guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. But they didn't. But see, you've got to think also that Solomon had already started 
worshiping false gods and setting up altars. And so they were already beginning to get that influence in their life. And then it just got worse and it got worse and it got worse. <coughs> Excuse me. Think about it like this. The first people who know that it's wrong, but they choose to follow it anyway, and they teach their children, instead of teaching their children the truth, now your children have learned a lie, and they've believed it. So then what do they do in turn? They turn around and they teach their children a lie as well. And this lie, a lot of times, it molds and it adapts and it gets bigger and bigger and greater. And then, eventually, the generation that stands before you has no idea what God had done for them. They had no idea that God was the one who had worked in their lives because they had been fed all these lies. Their mothers and their fathers, they went and they worshipped before these false gods and they told their children, this is it. And that's how deception works. And that's how, and I even believe in America, deception has taken over where we once were people who came here, listen, not that they were perfect and they believed necessarily everything we did, but they believed in the God of the Bible. And now people hardly even know who He is. He's not allowed anywhere. You can't speak His name because He's offensive. And people think that it's always been this way because deception works that way. Some of these... I mean, I, I've heard of, of parents who, who have a child who was born and it was a girl or it was a boy. And I've heard and read these parents say, I'm going to let them choose what they want to be when they're old enough. How do you get there? How on earth do we get there? By believing the lies of Satan. And not standing up and saying, no, this is not right. And even if we stand, honestly... I don't know if there's much hope for us. But that's okay. Stand for the truth anyway. You know, I'd rather be on God's side and suffer than live for this world, cower down, back down, and turn away from God. In the book of Acts, I tell you what, these Christians paid a great price for saying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior. Here in America, we've never paid, we, we haven't paid that price, right? We have it pretty easy. There's other countries. We have missionaries that go to foreign countries who are hiding underground because preaching the name of Jesus could get them in some serious trouble. Tonight, do you have what it takes to really stand up for God and His Word? I tell you what, if you compromise, it's a dangerous thing. It's dangerous for your family, for your children. Don't just think about yourself tonight. Think about, and not even if you don't have children, think about the generation that follows us. If we're silent and we don't stand against these things, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You say, ah, oh, you know, I got it pretty easy. <laughs> things are good here for me. I have no worries. I think a lot of times we're selfish and we think like that. All we think about is, oh, right now it seems pretty good. Life's okay. But we ought to have enough vision, enough insight to say, what is the future hold for these young people in this room today? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But one thing I know is that Jeroboam made a very big mistake in his life, and it affected generations to come.
And if we don't stand up for what's right now, if we don't stand on the Word of God and say, this is where we're going, I'm not going to compromise, I'm not going to back down, I know the world does different things and they think I'm a fool, but that's okay because I'm going to stand anyway. That's what we should be tonight. That's the kind of uncompromising person you should be. So instead of learning what we should be through Jeroboam, we've learned what we shouldn't be. But that's okay because sometimes the Bible gives us examples of people that live godly, follow the Lord, and we say, that guy had it. And then sometimes you got Jeroboam. He didn't exactly have it. This is not a guy I want to be like. But that's okay because we can learn from that. 